0: Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply.
1: Late night. Midnight on the interstate. Welcome
2: back to Straight from the Source. Michael Russo here. Thanks as always for tuning in and to subscribe to The Athletic. Now is the time to get in. Theathletic.com slash straightfromthesource will get you in for $3.99 per month. Not only is this the month that we'll have the expansion draft, the regular draft, and free agency, but we just have incredible uh, work across our site today. Uh, Surveys galore from a lot of different teams and also an NHL survey as well that you could take. Uh, In fact, check out the Minnesota Wild Survey. Um, A cool story by John Vogel and Scott Burnside about uh, five stars that could potentially be traded this offseason, including guys like Jack Eichel and Seth Jones and Evgeny Kuznetsov. I just finished reading Jeremy Rutherford's exclusive interview with Chris Weidman about the Uber incident that took place in Phoenix with the Ottawa Senators uh, a number of years back where the uh, Uber driver uh, videoed them, ripping on their coaching staff and all sorts of stuff, and then released it out. Uh, into the public world, and uh, Chris Weidman wound up uh, with an end of an NHL career after that and wound up in Russia, and he hopes to get back into the NHL this year. Um, lots of draft coverage by Corey Pronman. Um, And that is the subject of today's podcast, Wild Director of Amateur Scouting. Judd Brackett is the defending champion. He's coming back. uh, One of many people that have been invited back and accepted to this uh, podcast. And Judd is going to be on here for an awesome interview that uh, we discuss everything from um, the Wild's two first round picks to Marco Rossi to um, how he picks players to what type of year this was for the Wild. Uh, scouts during a very odd season, uh, that included a pandemic and, uh, a lot of games that were canceled and, and video scouting and things like that. So, um, Just not an easy year to scout, and Judd Brackett will talk a lot about that. Uh, What's happened since the last time we did a podcast? Well, Eric Erikssonak was the first of the restricted free agents to sign eight years, $42 million, $5.25 million a deal. Uh, He gets the first max contract in wild history. Uh, If you remember, the Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter contracts for 13 years essentially wound up being a rule change heading into that lockout and they came in with max terms, so eight years if you're re-signing your own guy, if you're going out and getting an unrestricted free agent, you can only sign that player for a max seven years. Ericsson gets the first eight-year term Although technically, Spurgeon and Brodine kind of had eight-year deals because they signed seven-year extensions with one year left on their contract. So this is becoming a pattern that Billy Garen, if, if players are willing to commit to Minnesota, he's willing to give them term if he feels like you can get the salary and the uh, the actual um average annual value uh, down to uh, what he believes will be uh, a moderate price. And Eric E gets $5.25 million, but if he gets power power play time and continues what he started this year production-wise and continues his tremendous shutdown ways defensively. The hope is, is that in two or three years, if he continues the the trajectory that he is on, you know, he could wind up being a six or $7 million player, uh, you know, potentially in a league where it's just so hard to get centers. So that's the gamble that the Wild are going to take is that by the end of this contract, uh, $5.25 million will be a, a bargain for somebody like Erickson. Again, he's 24 years old. So this isn't giving an eight-year term to a 30-year-old. This is a uh, somebody that's going to be 32 by the time that uh, he's a UFA. So that was the gamble that the while took and uh, felt comfortable with Um, as you know Kirill Kaprizov still unsigned Uh, the two sides were supposed to speak this week because his agent was uh, leaving the country um, and that was going to be a touch base interview so maybe they made some headway there we'll see if we can find that out Um, and then Kevin Fiala remains unsigned as well Uh, Billy Guerin said the other day that he was going to reach out to his uh, agent Craig Oster this week as well And uh, and that contract talks have begun. I do think that's going to be a difficult one to get done. Uh, You know, Fiala expects uh, big time money and a lot of term. And I don't know where the wild are going to go with that, but uh, they'll they'll try to get that done. But Again, if it gets too out of hand and it looks like they're going to be in a contract squabble or if Fiala is the type of player that can get them a number one center, it wouldn't be shocking at all to me if Billy Guerin considered uh, moving him this offseason. We will see. I don't think it's something that would be a first choice, but if it was for the right player, it might be something that he would consider. Um, Nick Bukestead also signed a one-year $900,000 deal to come back. And again, he's the now the 15th player under contract in uh, and uh, the maximum amount of players that a team can have on the roster is uh, twenty-three men. So uh, with sixteen million left, um, those are the type of signings that the Wild might have to sign, or they'll have to make internal uh, promotions from Iowa, or, or maybe Marco Rossi or Matt Boldy. But you know, guys like Connor Dewar, maybe Kalen Addison, have a really good chance to make the team out of camp. Uh, if all of a sudden Fiala and Caprice have get a ton of money this off season, they don't have enough enough money to to uh, to, to spend in terms of filling out the rest of the roster. We'll see. But I do think something's going to have to give in terms of trades or losing a a significant salary in uh, the expansion draft, which is July 21st. The rest of the the month looks like this. July 17th, all teams have to turn in their expansion lists, uh, their protected and exposed lists to Seattle. Seattle will then have four days to go through those lists and pick their team on July 21st. The draft is July 23rd and 4th. And uh, July 28th is the start of free agency. Uh, Tonight is game five of the Stanley Cup final between Tampa Bay and Montreal. If the series does end tonight, uh, and again, we're recording this on a Wednesday, uh, the buyout window opens 24 hours from the end of the Stanley Cup final. And that will be interesting. Uh, We will have to see if something uh, happens with Zach Parise here, whether the Wild change their mind and actually consider buying him out because they might need that $5.5 million um, cap Uh, flexibility that they get this year with buying out Parisi, or maybe they would even uh, get Parisi to waive his no-move, be traded to another team, find a way for that team to buy him out, and then he could become a free agent um, on, on July 28th. We'll see. Uh, my reporter's instinct says that something is going on right now. I don't know what it is, but I do get the impression um, that something might be going on with Zach Parisi because it's just radio silence right now anytime I ask about Zach to uh, either side. So that could be uh, an indication that, that uh, something is maybe being worked out. We'll see. Or I could be just absolutely imagining this. Who knows? Um, But without further ado, uh, just a really fun conversation, an informative conversation with a a very accessible, uh, accessible executive for the Minnesota Wild, Director of Amateur Scouting, Judd Brackett. Well, as mentioned, uh, really happy to be joined by Director of Amateur Scouting Judd Brackett. The uh, Wilds head uh, honcho hasn't get to actually run a draft table yet uh, at an arena. This will be a second virtual draft coming up here on July 23rd and 24th. And, uh, you know, really looking forward to eventually seeing you on that draft floor with every who's who in, in hockey, Judd. I know that's probably the most fun part of your job.
1: It is. And it's something we certainly miss. Uh, and, you know, what else is unique to, to, you know, my time in Minnesota too is not only just having a draft from the draft floor, but uh, actually being able to travel and, and be with our scouts in person. There's still guys on the staff that, you know, our relationship has been built through zoom and phone calls and emails. And, <laughs> and we haven't, uh, we actually haven't been in an arena together. So there's still a lot of growth to come and excited for, for everything. It's uh, you know, we look like we're getting back on track and it's going to, you know, I look forward to meeting the guys, being with the guys and, you know, having that rapport. It's so important.
2: If you've read my articles on Judd and and listened to our podcast uh, back uh, last offseason as well, uh, Judd started out as a sports writer, actually, in a lot of ways, uh, writing for McKeon's, I believe it was, uh, uh, draft articles. Do you remember Sort of what your first experience was on that draft floor and how like, I mean, is there that first sense of being almost in awe that, oh my God, there's everybody. You know, I remember my first draft in 98 and I was kind of like that.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, it's, you're, you're focused on, you know, get your eye on the prize, which is, you know, making the selections and, and, you know, and the list that we built and how it comes together. But you absolutely look around and, you know, you see former players and executives and, you know, parents in the stands, maybe some that, you know, you know, from the kids back home or in your area. So it is really exciting, but it can be a little overwhelming too, especially the first time.
2: Yeah, there's a great story. I don't remember. And we might have discussed this on the last podcast of either Phil Esposito or Neil Smith actually looking in the last round of the draft and seeing, you know, if there was still a kid in a suit that looked like he was freaking out because he wasn't going to get drafted. Have you ever had that experience of just sort of uh, guilt? Like, you know, maybe we should just take that that ninth
1: rounder. I don't know who the heck it is, but we'll take him. Absolutely. You look and it happens, you know, it happens every year. There's families there and you can see, you know, you love actually, even if it's not your team that takes them, but you love seeing someone take, take a player late and the family erupts and it's been, you know, it's been a long Saturday. So it's always so exciting and, and so rewarding for the kids to hear their name called. And I'm you know, looking forward to having, you know, all these players have that opportunity again.
2: Right, and I said ninth round because there was the ninth round at the time the uh, at the at the yeah. time. But obviously, there are seven dra- seven rounds. This, uh, uh all these last, last several years that they've gone down to seven rounds. Uh, so, Judd's coming to us from Vegas. Uh, he's not there for. I'm sure you're having fun, but you're not there for you know fun on the town and things like that. You actually are there for sort of business. Uh, you want to tell everybody why you're there.
1: Yeah, we're in my, uh, my 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 middle son is out here for, uh, you know, it's his brick year, which for, for many that know that's a, the big tournament in Edmonton this year. And obviously with the closures of the borders. So I uh, can't get into Edmonton. The brick tournament was canceled, but uh, this is the last of the series this year. They're playing in Vegas right now. So uh there're three games in just got here on Monday. So, it's been uh it's been obviously we've had some fun, but uh watching Smokey <laughs> too. Getting there, getting yeah. a leg up on the 2011 class.
2: Yeah, and this is I mean, this has shocked me when you said it, but this is your first time in Vegas as well.
1: It is. I've never been <laughs> and I I certainly didn't envision my first trip being in the middle of July with at 115 and and with my 10-year-old. <laughs> uh and you're staying
2: uh at uh I, I'll, I'll just tell people you're staying at new york new york just don't call his room if you're li- if you're listening um yeah who are we gonna take um but uh is staying at one of my favorite hotels there new york new york It overlooks t-mobile arena which is ha- has to be just an absolute blast for your son um it has the roller coaster coming out of there was has to be a blast for your son if you get if, if he could Put them to bed early and go get a like a Guinness down at Nine Fine Irishmen in the lobby of the New York, New York. Yeah. I highly recommend that. That is my favorite Irish bar in the world. Uh, it's just absolutely awesome. They got a great uh, house band there that plays there every single night. So you got to go see them. I'm done. We'll do that for sure. I think they're called Ra Ra, by the way. And I've, I, I'm not kidding you. I go there. I'm Facebook friends with the lead singer. I go there all the time just to watch them. They're great so covers I, and things like that. So if I mention the name,
1: I'll be able to request some songs.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, you could, you could. That's the best part, actually. You could just go up and uh, request songs, and they'll they'll play it. Um, and where are they, where's your son playing it? Out at the Vegas practice facility, or yes, no? yes, they've played
1: okay. uh, so far the practice facility. Uh, they're also using some other ranks in the area too. It's a, it's three age groups, and I think close to thirty thirty some odd teams here. So.
2: Uh, Labor Day in 2016, I happened to be in Vegas for for pleasure, and I texted uh, uh, George McPhee to see if he'd sit down for an interview. So I go out to before there was even a practice drink. I go all the way out to Red Rocks area there and in, in, uh, in out in Summerlin, um, and the Vegas Golden Knights practice uh, uh, offices at that time was at one of Bill Foley's like um, I don't know if it was a mortgage company or a financial office or something, but it was like in a it, it was sort of a warehouse. And I go in there and the only one working is George McPhee and his assistant. And George leaves his key card in there, has to like call his assistant to let us in and all that type of stuff. So I sit down, I do this really cool interview. I'm going to write it for the Star Tribune. I go back to the Bellagio just to have dinner. And who do I run into? Scott Luce. The director of amateur scouting for the Vegas Golden Knights. And Scott was there for the first ever amateur meetings that they were going to have the very next day. And it was just, I mean, you, you know, just imagine being the director of amateur scouting for the Vegas Golden Knights and your first meeting is in Vegas at the Bellagio.
1: Incredible! That's incredible.
2: Yeah. It was just—it was a real, real fun time. So this is going to be your second draft, as I mentioned, as the uh, as as the Minnesota Wild head honcho. Um, last year, um, really successful draft so far. I mean, you know, I was talking to Corey Promin today, and I told him that you had your on, and he goes, "You know what? I'll tell you what, Mike. You know, everybody talks about Marco Rossi and Husnadinov and Ryan O'Rourke. He said the one value pick that he is really sold on is Damon Hunt." And so I know that probably you didn't expect that I would start the podcast by asking you about Damon Hunt, but that is somebody that is starting to, you know, uh, really play well in the WHL, got a little taste in Iowa this year until the WHL started. Can you tell Wild fans about him?
1: Yeah. Damon Hunt was, you know, and I think they a little bit of fortune, uh, you know, on our side, uh, you know, not for him so much with the injury that he had. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, it's, it's always a little bit, a uh, dicey draft and a player with zero goals, but, uh, that was, that was, you know, spoke to our faith in him. We'd watched him as an underage, um, you know, play in the world championships and play at the Holinka and then be a leader on that Moose Jaw team. Um, you know, he skates well, He's a strong, sturdy, two-way defender. He saw good growth in his offensive play this year too, which we certainly thought he had in him. Um, he's just, you know, for us, I think we agree. We, we we didn't see him as as someone that we thought would be there in the third round and we were thrilled when he was, um, you know, a guy that checks all the boxes for us from leadership, character, mobility, hockey sense, plays with an edge. He can he can play in any type of situation and, and you know, a player that we were, we were, like I said, we were thrilled to, to still see available there.
2: A teenager that did play uh, all year in Iowa was Ryan O'Rourke, just because the OHL really never got going. Um, you know, looked like he really made strides down there. Um, How big of a, you know, how how big was that for a development for a teenager to play down there? I know, uh, obviously, that normally is something that can't happen just because of the the Canadian Hockey League, National
1: Hockey League rules. I think it's an incredible experience for Ryan. I mean, just to be in a pro environment, the day-to-day preparation, you know, taking care of your body, how, you know, what's expected of you every day. And that's not to diminish what happens in Sault Ste. Marie and the OHL and other teams. It's just, it's the next level. So to have that type of exposure, um, you know, it's going to be great for him even going back to the Sioux next year, he'll take what he learned and and he's, it's, he's going to, it's going to be invaluable for that organization. He's going to help, you know, teach some of the younger players and, and, the ohl you know what what that next level looks like and to have a taste of it you know i think he goes home this summer trains you know in a different manner knowing that he's a step closer have been exposed to a bit more of pro hockey so I, i think it's invaluable learning experience he was around our development staff probably more so than he you know he would would in a in a typical year so you know for him, I mean, that is, that is a real feather in his cap to play a full season in, in the American Hockey League and, and be able to handle it too, you know, uh, and, 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 play, you know, almost nightly, um, the, the value, uh, the experience on ice, off ice, all of it is, is really going to pay dividends in the future.
2: Adam Beckman also got a taste down there. I mean, do, do you see the, that rule ever changing that that just because obviously these guys uh, seem to have success this year, not just in this organization, but others as well? I mean, do, do you see that rule ever changing where they'd allow um, teenagers that are not European uh, to, to play down in the AHL?
1: It, you know what happened this year might allow for some more discussion. I don't know if it'll it in the end it'll affect a rule change. Um, you know some of the players are obviously able to make that jump, um, but also when you look at this year too, the the flip side of it is you, you had a taxi squad that was with an NHL team. So you know if you filter that depth back into the American League, maybe maybe not everyone is as ready or as as they look to be this year.
2: Great point, great point. Something, of course, I wasn't thinking about there. <laughs> um, down there, yeah, obviously that gave them a lot of the ability to play down there and get significant min- minutes under Tim Army. Uh, we're working from rewind uh, from, from last year's draft. Let's go down to Husnadinov, uh, your other second round pick that you guys um, drafted. You were able to get him in large part, as well as Hunt, because of the uh, trade that you made of Luke Connan getting uh, the extra picks there. Um, what made you guys like Husnadinov, and, and uh, do you have a status update on sort of his re- from his injury that he had this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, what we liked, we certainly, you know, as a player with the national team, uh, we saw him as a, you know, war letter on that team. Again, another guy that was a captain, um, had an excellent Holinka, the February tournament, which was, you know, some of our last viewings when you, when you do rewind, I mean, the season was, was, was eliminated in the middle of, middle of March. So he was pretty fresh off a really strong performance in, in February um, but the skating, the speed, the, the hockey sense, he can, he can do a bit of everything and has a great way about the way he plays, the details, the intangibles, um, and that's not diminishes his, his skill. I think we saw it this year, obviously he had a chance to play with, with the men's team uh, before the injury and performed well, played high in the lineup uh, some nights even on the top line. So he's got great utility. You know, and I think that'll help in his development too. He doesn't, he's not a guy that has to be a top six. He can, he can plug in and out of a a lineup and go up and down penalty kill if he has to. So I think that'll help in his development curve, uh, the ability to play anywhere in a lineup, uh, play with skilled players or play with, you know, with tempo and energy. So he is back on the ice. He's training. Um, we, we are getting, he's had regular contact with our development staff, uh, um, and, and, rehabbing is everything seems to be right on track.
2: Yeah, and uh, it looked like on social media recently he 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 got back on the ice. So that is definitely good news. And and he's got one year left on his KHL contract? Correct, yes. Okay. Um, and uh, which brings me to Marco Rossi, who put out another awesome video today, or his coach did, I think it's Dylan Stanley um, over there in Austria, of him on the ice and You know, he might be coming to camp looking better than pretty much everybody. It looks like he's going to be on the ice longer than anybody, you know, especially with how late the NHL season is. So it looks like he's going to come into camp doing well, which has to be just great, great news for how scary of
1: a situation he had to endure this year. And knowing Marco, he's going to put, he's going to put his best effort in day to day. I would, I would not be surprised if he shows up very well conditioned, very prepared, very focused. That's just the type of individual he is. It's awesome to see him back on the ice. It was a scary year, Um, you know, and first and foremost, you know, we want, you know, his health and his well being to come first. And it's great to see that that's back in Jack and now back on the ice and making strides there too.
2: What was it about him that, that made you say, that's the guy we're going to take?
1: Uh, you know, part of it was the drive um, and just the overall focus of the player. He, he, he knows he knows exactly, you know, he, he's on the ice to impact the play all the time. He's got great hockey sense. He makes others better. Um, it's a coveted position. Uh, and I just, I you know, you believe in him when you, when you see someone that can play with that sort of consistent level from a compete standpoint, hockey sense standpoint, the skill standpoint and keeps on getting better year to year, it's hard not to believe in it.
2: The, um, you know, uh, do you remember where you were when you sort of found out from Billy Guerin that this
1: was going on and, and how much did your heart sink? Uh, I mean, it was, I mean, first it sinks, you know, when you think of Marco and, you know, he's still, he's still a young man and it's scary and the impact on family and the unknown and the the unknown surrounding it. So immediately you, you think of him, uh, and, you know, you worry about, uh, you know, them you know, mentally, or, or is he okay? And, and, you know, how concerned is he and does he have enough resources and support? So you worry about him as a person. And then, you know, the second part of it is, you know, is we made a big, a really big investment in him and, and we believe in him a hundred percent. So you, you know, you, your, your secondary thought is, man, is maybe, this, this, you know, what, how could this impact the franchise going forward? So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's where you know now is, you know, we have time and we have to do things right. And, and, you know, if it slows down the process a little bit, that's okay too. Like, you know, and, and I know Marco as a person is very strong, strong mentally, strong physically, and, and he's going to come back with uh, the same vigor if maybe, if not even more.
2: Yeah, I know that you're not obviously the, the GM, the decision maker at the end of the day uh, in terms of training camp. But I mean, do, do you think somebody his age being away from the game as long as he has, if he comes to camp and, imp- and proves himself, that he has the ability to make the team right away? Or do you think Iowa would probably be the probably the way to go uh, for the uh, organization?
1: I think it's up to him. I think it's up to all the players, right? If he comes into camp and and... And, you know, and, and proves every day and, and opens everyone's eyes. And I I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's predetermined. I think he certainly has a chance to, to earn it, um, come and outplay others and earn a spot. So I think, I think any coach would tell you that if there's always an opportunity, if you can take someone's job, do it. Um, so, but, but on the other side of it, there's a, there's a, you know, there's another plan too, that's going to be a path to success if that's not the case. Right.
2: And you said uh, last year that actually, and, and you you guys in Vancouver drafted a ton of great kids, but you'd actually never had a player that you drafted in the first round right away actually make the NHL right away, right? Correct. I mean, they've always gone back. So, yeah. um, and obviously it's been a while since you guys drafted them, but uh, it's an interesting thing there because everybody looks at those kids that you drafted in Vancouver um, as being, you know,
1: blue chippers and, and even they needed time. Absolutely. And it's, you know, everyone develops at different rates, the game. I mean, there's a big jump. I mean, it's a big jump to the American Hockey League. And I think Ryan O'Rourke would be someone who would tell you that. And Damon Hunt and Beckman. So, um, you know, there's, you know, you really have to master your craft and dominate the level you're at first and, and then take the next step. If you're not ready, there's no point in rushing it.
2: Uh, 2021 draft is just right around the corner here in a couple weeks, uh, Judd, which I know you're anxious uh, to, to get going. Um, you mentioned how odd of a year this is that they're probably still scouts that you haven't even met face to face with. Um, what, what has this year been like for the scouting staff in terms of uh, getting ready for this type of draft?
1: It's created, you know, it's created unique challenges, um, you know, whether it's stoppages or, or leagues that haven't started um, or even limited viewings or, you know, getting a chance to see a player once or twice compared to maybe eight, nine, ten times. Um, so it's been challenging. We've relied a lot on video. Um, you know, but the flip side of it is the positive, right? We've, we've been forced to communicate a lot. We've been forced to, you know, maybe break down video more or use some data, uh, data points, uh, for games played or go back and look at underage and and tap into our resources, whether it's a coach or, you know, someone that they train with a billet family. Um, and I think, you know, long run, I think a lot of these procedures and, and are, have enhanced our ability. So going forward, when we are able to get to rinks, we're still going to use some of this going forward. And mm-hmm. hopefully it makes us a, a better staff and have better process and, and better communication. So it's an information business. We're trying to collect as much as we can from the resources that are available. And, and honestly, I, you know, I, I've really enjoyed my time in Minnesota and working with the scouting staff here. They're very eager. They're great to work with uh, mm-hmm. really nice people. And um, I'm, Thrilled to be be working with them. That
2: was a uh, great Twitter question by uh, somebody here. Uh, Twitter account is Head Scout of the NFL. Uh, Asked, Is there any scr- scouting strategies or adjustments that were forced to be made during the pandemic that worked out so well that that you will continue using mo- moving forward? Um, you you alluded to that. Anything specific that you could say that you really said? You know what this is this is the way to do it moving out, moving you forward. Know it's,
1: it, you know, the, and, it, and it, it might impact our even from a you know from a cost standpoint. We might travel smarter, right? It, mm-hmm. in, as opposed to rushing in to go see seeing a player we might watch them on video first and get a sense of what their game looks like and decide if you know is it a priority player that we need to get in right now or is this something that the regional scout can continue to work with before we need to do as crossover scouts so i think that it could help us travel smarter um you know it also if if one scout is saying they they see something and another is seeing a, a different pattern in their game then we would get video and, and we do a group you know let's break it down you know or in even something as simple as going to a game, seeing something that you think epitomizes this player's ability, you mark it down, we go back, we grab the video clip and we create our own, you know, this is what we see as a positive. Uh, And we create a, you know, a a video profile of the player. So I I think we're going to be infinitely better as a result of this. Um, This year, you know, we don't probably have all the information we normally do, but we're no different than any other team. And to be honest, we're accountable as we always are. We expect, the, you know these players to be the players that we've identified, and and their skill sets to be the skill sets. So you know we there's no excuses for this year.
2: Were you um you personally? How many games were you able to kind of see in person?
1: I still got to I still got to a number because I was you know I, I was unable to get into Canada or Europe, and you know fortunate that uh, you know the USHL and and college played, and and a lot of the, the tier two junior played, and high school played. So. My year was, was still, you know, was still involved with a lot of travel. It was just within the U.S.
2: Right. And so you were able like, uh, you know, I know some colleges at first didn't allow scouts and you were able to do that in the Northeast at least.
1: Well, hockey's never let ne- the Northeast was, was, was the exception where you okay. were not able to get in, but, it, you know, getting out to the big 10 and, um, mm-hmm. you know, scouts were limited, but, uh, you know, it was sort of a lottery at times, 12, 13 scouts into an arena, but it was able to get in. And, um, you know, so the, 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 I honestly I applaud a lot of these, these schools and leagues, they did a great job uh, keeping the players safe, allowing scouts to get in. And, you know, even, you know, the U S was able to pull off a prospects game. So I think, uh, you know, a lot of people did some great work behind the scenes to, to allow us the viewings that we had.
2: Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about this draft, Jota. You guys currently have the 21st and 25th picks. I had to constantly confirm that with you <laughs> down the stretch of the the playoffs. I'm like, hey, do I have this right? And, uh, it, I, I don't know. Math is not my strong suit. So I was just getting confused a lot of the time, but now we know you got 21 and 25. You have th- uh, five picks in the first three rounds, um, eight in the draft, I believe. Yes. Uh, currently, fair. um, 20 and 21 and 25 in a draft where there hasn't been a ton of viewings. Got, some guys had limited games. Um, how How is that beneficial for you guys that you can maybe get some diamonds in the rough that fall or is that is that tough in a draft that maybe some say also isn't as deep as others?
1: It's, you know, it, it could lead to something that's advantageous for us, whether it was limited views on a player or just limited experiences for other teams. Um, but it also, you know, it, it, it certainly leads for a bigger pendulum swing in terms of the development of players um, and maybe just seeing a little bit less of them this year. Um, also relying, you know, on, on scouts in regions that were the only ones to get live viewings and that you can only support with video. So there's, there's a little more projection, I would say, in this year's draft just because of, of the limited information. But uh, because of that, it also might lead to a, a bigger swing in development and, and a chance to hit on a player that maybe, you know, on a, on a redraft in five years might have looked different.
2: Mm. Yeah, which Corey Proman will be the first to uh, work out for the Athletics? So. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually one of my favorite things he does are those redrafts. You know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, like Kaprizov, the 2015 draft suddenly it's went from the fifth round right to the top, uh, pretty much. So it's, it's a great way. To, it's cool. a great
1: way to motivate a scouting staff. Honestly, yeah, I you know. <laughs> know, when you see players in the fourth, fifth round that you know hit the uh, the high mark and come back, and uh, yeah. it's you know there's players, there's players everywhere, and they're going to develop. They're 17. They're going to continue to develop. Yeah. different rates physically mentally they're going to get opportunities to play that maybe you didn't see this year so mm-hmm. you know that's the that's the excitement of an NHL draft you can as late as they come they can still turn out to be you know a really impactful player
2: yeah. And there's always the second guessing and things like that, uh, which, you know, for a lot of times, uh, you know, let's talk about something we talked about on the fan yesterday, if you don't mind. And that's the Besser Erickson Eck debate. You know, Wild fans for years really felt like the Wild made a big mistake by not taking the kid that that grew up right down the road from here, 15 minutes from XL Energy Center in Burnsville and Brock Besser. You in Vancouver uh, were the beneficiary of that. And I think a lot of Wild fans thought that the Wild made a mistake. I think when I talked to amateur scouts, and maybe you could confirm this, a lot of amateur scouts, say, look, Eric Sinek was the highest rated player back then. Most scouts would have taken the center over the goal scoring winger at the time. Um, but here we are years later and Eric Sinek is at a minimum developing into a heck of a player to the point that Billy gave him a eight year deal last week. What was your thoughts back then um, on the whole Eric besser debate? And, and um, obviously, again, Besser's Besser's a heck of a player and is going to have a heck of a career as well.
1: They're, bo- they're both heck of a player, you know, heck of a player, and they're both high-character guys. I mean, and they want to win. They have a will to win. They've had great success, you know, and and listen, I think Eric Snack played, you know, had greater international experience that year than Besser did. Besser was in the USHL, and, you know, his international experience was limited to the Holinka uh, in a summer tournament. Um, you know, you got a position to, you know, a, a center versus a wing. You've got uh, you know someone who's a bit more two-way versus the shooter score I, they, you know they're very very different in, in in makeup and you know teams covet certain positions more and or maybe then there might have been a need that was different too so you know it, it's it's you can second guess and you can go back but uh, as you know as a member of the wild and for wild fans I think we're very excited and I speak for a lot of people on the development of Eric neck.
2: yep Judd is not the only one on the Athletic Podcast this week. Uh, Adam Fox, the 2021 Norris Trophy winner, joins Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun uh, today, Wednesday, on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. And Joe Smith, our incredible athletic Tampa Bay Lightning beat writer, joins Craig Custance and Sean Gentile on the Athletic Hockey Show to recap Game 4 and look ahead to Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final between Tampa Bay and Montreal. But I'm uh, with uh, Judd Brackett. And um, Judd, you know... Twenty-one and twenty-five. Um, I know that uh, you most likely you're going to say best player av- available, best player available. But there are there are obviously still thinnesses in the in the Wild organization. Maybe uh, from the blue line perspective, um, you know, if the Wild um, protect Cam Talbot in expansion draft, and God forbid Capo Kackinen gets taken, now suddenly the goaltending depth could change. A couple games later, uh, how do you look at sometimes as a as a draft, even though you're drafting eighteen-year-olds that probably aren't going to be in the NHL for three or four years? Do, do you sometimes have to look at that and say, "Hey, you know what? We got to get a goalie. We got to get a defenseman. We got to get a, w- a center." Do you sometimes have to do that when you have two picks that close in the first round?
1: You do. I mean, I, you have to take it into consideration. Obviously, as you mentioned, you know we, we are going to look for the best player available, but we also have to be cognizant of of team depth. You know, it, it's hard to forecast a future team roster composition, you know, and draft based on that. But you also have to be aware of what we have, you know, coming down the line with other prospects where there might be duplication, where we have a prospect that we feel is, is developing in an area that maybe it, it pushes someone else down the list a little bit um, as it's not, you know, need per se, but yeah, we're, I mean, we have to take it into consideration as part of the discussions that we have on the amateur staff, um, you know, but at the end of the day, we do want to take the best players and we, 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 you know, if, if we have duplication and it's still the two best players, then that's a, that's a really good problem to have. So right. we can't be too cute with it. Um, and, and, and really, you know, narrow our focus and sort of pigeonhole us into taking anything for need, as long as the player value is still there and they're, they're in the right, the right spot per se on our list, then we'll take it into consideration. It might be a last minute tweak. But, uh, you know, even as the draft goes, you know, we might look down and say, look, we haven't, we haven't addressed uh, this need and we're in the third round. Let's, let's focus. So on, on player X, that's still available. So we'll adjust as the day goes on. It's actually one thing that's been a little bit advantageous of the virtual draft is you can do a bit more work in the room, in the, in the war room, as the draft is unfolding. Sometimes the table is just it's difficult to talk about players as you have surrounding teams with you, you start using yeah. numbers and codes. And so that, that part is nice. It is nice to, to be able to have some open discussions and talk about how this draft is unfolding and what it might look like for us coming up here.
2: That's the great story in the 2001 draft with the Minnesota wild jet. I don't know if you know it, but, um, the, the wild were drafting, um, sixth overall uh, I believe it was sixth overall and and uh, Montreal was right behind them and they were so worried that they were gonna that the Canadians were gonna hop over the Minnesota Wild and draft Miko Koivu that they basically lied and said they were gonna take Kamasarik and told their owner who then told Molson so they were just doing that as a, a mirage on the draft floor to basically pretend like they weren't taking Koivu and then they took Koivu and they all looked at the Montreal table and they were all ticked off so they wanted to unite the Koivu brothers in Montreal and It never happened. So that's at least what the wild, that's the wilds version of the story. I don't know if Montreal would say like, yeah, that's what we were going to do, but uh, it's pretty interesting. So um, Uh, I'd like to see those codes. It'd be like, you know, the third base coach and trying to figure out exactly the signs, steal signs and stuff.
1: So, yeah, we're like, no, we'll, we'll talk in numbers and, and colors. We'll be like 44 red. It sounds like we're an offensive lineman calling in the play, uh, as an offensive coordinator. Yeah.
2: Uh, and it's all, uh, that'll be funny because, uh, next you'll see me at the next draft. I'm going to bring binoculars and try to <laughs> steal what you guys have. So I can tweet out. I think the wild are going to take Owen power. Um, let me ask you about, uh, goaltending. Your former college goalie, uh, played at Northeastern, I believe Connecticut college. Yes. Um, and, um, Scouting goalies has got to be one of the most difficult things. I mean, I would say that the two things to me that have to be the most difficult thing to scout in your position is one character and two goaltending because they develop at such crazy rates. It doesn't matter the skill level. It's all up here with goalies uh, and I pointed to my head if you're not uh, if you're listening at home. Um how do you how do you scout goaltending? And is that something that, like, every draft, you'd like to at least get one? Uh, you know, this is an organizational uh, situation suddenly where, as I mentioned, Kakinin could be exposed, Philip Lindbergh's going to free agency, um, and really right now in uh, turning pro or in pro, you only have Hunter Jones and Barabo.
1: Yeah, and you're right. Uh, goaltending is, is you know, goaltending characters are really, really hard positions or attributes to evaluate, and and I and I think part of the goaltending evaluation that's so difficult is it it's got to be the most advanced developing position in any sport like if you go back 25 years to what goaltending looks like now yeah so you know for our scouts whether it's tech you know we we can all we can all figure out who can stop the puck and who competes and you know has size so some of the technical parts are difficult and then look we 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 do we as scouts we talk with with Fred Shabbat and we talked to Richard Bachman and and they you know they evaluate video too or get live games when they can so we we want their expertise and we welcome it because it is a very you know tactical position both mentally and you know in terms of how you you know position yourself react secondary positioning so um you know we we certainly want you know we the the trend is with goalies being a bit bigger obviously guys that can fill the net well um but with the game also as fast as it is these guys have to be able to move their feet they need to be able to get to position two and have recovery speed so we want guys that compete we want them want them to battle and you know there is a fine line between being sort of over technical and and losing your athleticism uh, you still want to be able to break out and have some speed and play with length so it's uh you know and sometimes you go to games and you don't see the goalie in a, in a situation to show you all of it all of his attributes so that's why video is so important and again going forward it's it's going to be a position that's going to continue to be you know critiqued and watched by video
2: um, and by the way, if you're a Wild fan, and didn't realize how uh, Richard Bachman is uh, the former NHL goalie is uh, the Iowa Wild uh, goalie coach, and everybody knows uh, Freddie's up here, Freddie Shabbat. Um, what kind of goalie were you, Jeb? Were you like a stand-up
1: goalie like Kirk McLean, or were you was butterfly a thing yet, or yes. uh, what well, were you? When I stand up, I barely hit the crossbar, so I had to be <laughs> quick and athletic. I, I just a lot of desperation in my game.
2: Yeah, I've actually never seen you stand. It's funny. I've, I've met Judd once in person and it was like, it was just in the playoffs. He happened to be in the Minnesota in the corner. I'm like, I think that's Judd Brackett. He was wearing a mask and everything, but you were sitting down at the time. So I've never actually seen how tall you are. So, but, um, uh, but let me ask you, do you, do you the one question I did have was, um, do you always want to get at least one goalie in a draft or is that not something that you're going to, that you would force feed if, if all of a sudden there was a better player there in a late round or mid round or something?
1: Yeah. Sorry. And you did ask, I apologize for missing that yeah. question. But oh, it, no. uh, And it's, you know, it's not a, an organizational, you know, you know, philosophy that we have to get a goalie every year. I think we're, we're really focused on making sure that when we do select a goalie, it's a goalie that we, you know, that we, that we like, that we want to continue to work with, that we see things in his game that are going to, you know, lead to success or development. So, and, and, you know, and that's the other, you know, you hit on character, we want goaltenders that, compete they're coachable You they know that it's a long way to go as you mentioned it's a late developing position so um you have to be willing we want to, we want good reports back that these guys practice hard not just not the game so you, you know you've been going forward it's important for us to try to get in to see some see some of these goalies in practice without announcing that we're there so you see mm-hmm. their practice habits day to day so it's uh you know that that's where their gains are going to be made not not always in the games
2: Alright, let's go to a couple Twitter questions uh, Judd, uh, here's a really good sneaky question from Matthew Dehan. Uh As a scout, would you rather have two picks in the 20s or trade up to get
1: pick in the early teens? That's uh, uh, a good, great question uh, I think it certainly <laughs> depends upon the each what draft year it is and the depth of it, uh, but you know what having two gives you the ammunition to move up I think if if, if the opportunity presented itself, then I think sometimes, you know, maybe with two you know, you just, you just feel there's, you're coming away with two pieces that you're really, really like. And so this is, this is actually my, my first year that I've been involved with a team that has two first round picks and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. thrilled. I can't wait.
2: Yeah. I covered I think I I covered one in Florida, uh, where the Panthers took uh Nathan Horton and Anthony Stewart, I believe, in two thousand three. I can't remember if I've ever covered another draft where the Oh no, of course, here in twenty eleven they had took Jonas Burdeen and Zach Phillips. So uh they didn't have they didn't have two going into that draft, but they left it uh that was the brent burns trade as well that's right um let me throw at a couple others um do you see um tim asks and i sort of asked you this but do you think that th- we'll see more late round steals due to games lost dur- during covid because of those limited viewings
1: it's 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 possible um it is i mean obviously when you have a league like the ohl that doesn't play a season i think that's you know that you know you, it, it's a strong league it's it's, it's hard to play as an underage. So some players that may have been hidden as an underage that didn't play a lot that didn't have the role expansion. um, Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely possible. I, you know, I look back at the 2020 draft and, uh, you know, and and in my, you know, I I forecast that had, had this league not played and we're a year, you know, we're a year back. Would where would this player have been picked and would they have been picked at all? So I do mm-hmm. think it's possible. I think even more than late round steals, I think you might see re-entry drafts for next year. Um, you know, it, it's hard to just gamble on, uh, on and, and hope that you hit the high side. Um, you still have to know the players that you're selecting and, and what you and have some idea what you're getting. So
2: you're saying that that players that maybe normally that, would be drafted will get out and have to go back in.
1: Yeah, I yep. think I think next year you will see some reentries from this 03 class that'll that'll work their way back into ne- next year's class.
2: Very interesting. Um here's a, actually a question that we sort of alluded to but character se- uh, this is uh, the Twitter account is Russo HFC. Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh character seems to be a common theme in draft picks of the Gar- uh, bracket Garen era. Could he elaborate on what the evaluation process is for something like that? Um so so how do you c- scout character? Is it it's, as you mentioned calling people it uh, is, you know, and, and like- that's
1: one thing that's been certainly challenging uh, we've, we've done a lot of we've, we've been limited to interviewing with the players by zoom um, so and you know anytime you talk to someone in person you see a bit more body language do you have a connection eye contact so it's harder to do um, you know by zoom but we can we can evaluate character too by how they play the game you know, with consistency, are they coachable? Um, and then it's, you know, then this year we've had to dig in, we've had to talk to coaches, skills coaches, the billets that they live with, maybe even a academic advisor. Um, so we, we can, we can still get the skinny on the, on, on these young players. And, um, and, and you know, we want guys that are going to be coachable, that are going to be resilient, that, uh, that are going to show up and compete and, and play Minnesota wild hockey.
2: Um, here's a good question from steve hoagland how does judd uh, weigh a prospect's ceiling versus his floor does he prefer safer picks in the early rounds or big swings on prospects with high ceilings but more uncertainty
1: that's uh, a great it's a great question and we do we do talk in those terms we you know we talk about uh the you know the, the high ceiling and the potential you know we even try to forecast where in a future lineup they might be um i think i think you know part of what we look at is trying to mitigate some of the risks i don't think you want a big big swing from from high to you know crashing real low um so uh, you know it's somewhere in the middle we want we, we obviously want someone that has we want a player that has a high potential um you know that they can reach that is achievable um but we also don't want one that is you know has a has a chance to be you know a, a miss. We want guys that have maybe layers to their game, um, that have you know secondary abilities to play if if their high side doesn't pan out.
2: A couple more minutes with uh, Judd here, um, you, Judd, uh, and tell me if you're not comfortable answering this question. But I, I think on the last podcast, um, you did you were willing to talk about some uh, specific players. Um, but r- I've gotten a ton of questions about Ratty, um, the kid that I believe was supposed to be a real high, high, high pick in this draft and has somehow um, fallen to maybe even around where you're going to pick. He, um, wh- what would be the reason why he's fallen? And is it worth um, you know taking a flyer on a kid like this?
1: Um, and and Fairman and listen. He as a as a young player, he played as a double underage, as an underage, he had. A tremendous experience internationally. Played big, big roles. Played in the World Juniors. So his exposure to scouts was was early, uh, which obviously built up expectations. Mm. And whether fairly or not, um, you know, this is a player that, he, that plays hard. He competes hard. He's got a good two way game. Um, you know, and and sort of falls in line with the last question. It's you know, it's up to the scouts to decide how high his high side is, and and you know, and maybe what his floor is. So um, you know, he plays at a very high level. He's played. Liga um, he's trusted in a lot of situations and, and has, has done it internationally too so um, you know there's definitely you know there's sort of an air of question mark of where he'll be but uh, you know he's 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 been a heck of a hockey player for a number of years.
2: Uh, what do you think of the two guys that I took in the uh, athletic mock draft uh, that I literally probably threw a dart at the board for uh,
1: Bolduc and Johnston?
2: Yeah I, a two, I, I, couple I... centers.
1: A couple, a couple centers and, you know, and, well, Duke is, is, uh, is a, is a big name, household name in Quebec. He actually came down and played in New England for, uh, for a, a little bit of time at Mount St. Charles and then was into the USHL before, before making the move to the Quebec league, lots of skill. No one's, no one's going to, uh, be disappointed with that kind of pick. And, uh, and Johnston actually, uh, was, was great in Texas, you know, was a player that, uh, moved up the lineup as the tournament went on and, and has actually continued to grow, I think to about two, two inches or so this over the, the past year. So he, you know, looks like a guy that's still coming. Nice.
2: And I did pretty much throw a dart at the board. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I just saw who was left and I'm like, oh, a couple centers. I'll go with both. Actually, you know what I was going to do? So I took Balduk and then I was going to take a defenseman and then Praman goes to me, hey, just to let you know, I'm not positive that Balduk's going to wind up being a center in the NHL. And so I'm like, all right, I guess I'll take another center there. So <laughs> that's why I took Johnston. So, um, which gets me to actually a good question. I think somebody asked that I can't find, but as a scout, how do you determine how like when you're scouting a center, how do you determine that he is going to play center in the NHL? Or is it always a crap shoot? Like, you know, Boldy was drafted as a center and it looks like he's going to be a better wing.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and it changes it, you know, they might be a center and, you know, in, in junior or where, where they're currently playing. and, <sighs> you know it's a demanding it's a highly highly demanding position especially at the next level you know the 200 foot part of the game and then learning how to win draws and winning against bigger stronger guys and they compete it's a it's a hugely demanding position that's why it's also a little bit late developing at times you see it even with that right the offense is his company he's, he's so detailed and so smart and take care of the you know the responsible the responsibilities first and then the offensive game grows so sometimes it's a matter of foot speed sometimes It's a matter of maybe just not having enough, you know, wide vision in the puck distribution. So it is, it is a bit of a projection and, and, you know, oddly there's, there are guys that play the wing right now that end up having, having enough ability or two way and skating and and support down low to be a good center at the next level. So it, it changes. Uh, I think when you're talking about Boldy, he's, there's no question he's got a centerman's vision. You, know, you see it. You see it even on the half wall, um, you know. But he's excellent down below the goal line. He's got. He's good against the boards too. And and I think you know. But even if he's a winger, he he still brings that center mentality and, and, and vision.
2: Yep. Yeah, you um? You know, I don't know if you got to watch a lot of Iowa games, but were you almost surprised at at the instant impact
1: that Boldy made down there. He's been. You know what. A, a, post-draft. I, I know that first fall at, at BC, I think was probably a little bit humbling for him, right? And being being left mm-hmm. off the world junior team and the point production wasn't there, but he has been on a tear since then. And, and whether it was motivation, whether it was just an, an internal gut check, but he's, he's been exceptional at BC and, and a seamless transition into Iowa scoring. He's He's, 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 You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not surprised. Hockey sense and skill are, are at that level, and it's great to see.
2: Uh, let me ask you about one more player in BC, and then I'll I'll, I'll wrap it up and let you go uh, enjoy uh, <laughs> some time with your son. Um, but uh, Nestorenko is somebody that a lot of Wild fans don't know a lot about. They know Marshall Warren just because he was drafted in the same draft as Boldy. Uh, I think they know Jack McBain, their second round pick. Uh, Nestorenko is somebody who played in the, I think it was in the BCHL. And then he yes. came over to BC, and it looked like to me every time I watched him, he was noticeable, and, and he looks like he could be a player.
1: His, he took a huge step this year um you know watched him in prep in his draft year and then he took the extra year in the bchl um uh, but his i mean he he jumped right into bc uh pace was not not of any concern and i don't mean just by his mobility and skating i mean the processing and ability to deliver passes on time get into holes he was he was a, i mean i watched only by tv couldn't get into bc this year but uh, i continue to watch him he's right there for me locally and actually one of the assistant coaches lives just down the street for me, so we, uh-huh. we chatted about uh, the players there quite a bit, but uh, he his game has really has really taken a big step, and we'll be looking forward to seeing if he takes that next step again this year. But he's a player, um, the wild fans will 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 want to continue to track.
2: How about how about Beckman? Uh, you know, he's somebody again. He's before your time here, but man, he had a heck of a year last year in the or two years ago in the WHL. He went back and and produced again this year in the short time that he was in the WHL. He, he has some heck of goal celebrations in his short time in Iowa as well. I,
1: hey, listen. It's tough to score goals when you get them. You got to celebrate them. I yeah, never yeah. have a problem with big celebrations. That's you know it shows that joy and passion guys have for the game. And you know what? And and Adam has always scored. He scored in midget out, out west. And you know it was a terrific pick. Um, you know he was a true rookie that year. And and his game has just continued to grow. The, watching him this year, I was able to see him because I was able to get out to that US division. But the conference he plays with wants the puck all the time. Um, and and he just has a real love for scoring, which I love which I, I appreciate.
2: Yeah. Uh, so what's on the docket tonight in Vegas, uh, with your little one?
1: We're headed uh we're headed to Top Golf. Nice. So, yeah. That's cool. So we'll yep. recon- reconvene here shortly. He's he's with some friends down at the pool, I assume, and then we mm-hmm. get top golf and uh game five and then we're up right and early. We got we got the first game tomorrow morning.
2: Right, right. Where will you watch the game with him tonight? Will you bring him to a sports book or what do you think? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think there's a there's a place outside here where he can play some cornhole and and dad can watch oh the yeah game, right so. yeah
2: yeah yeah right next uh the, actually it's a beer house so you'll yeah, have some fun yeah. and <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's that's where our Mix wild fans uh hang out before the game Mixed you know it's actually yeah you know what's across the little road there that is a really good cool restaurant that you'll like uh because probably it will remind you of some of your restaurants in cape cod is that eataly um, yeah. it's yeah, it's right there in the in the park MGM there, and they've got like sort of a bunch of different food stations, and um, you know, I bet you'd enjoy that as well. So
1: I'd have to stay an extra day and see McGregor on Saturday too.
2: Yeah. Oh, that yeah, that's going on this weekend, man. You you are you are in Vegas during a good hot weekend. Yeah, um, no kidding. Yeah, and I think Cirque, all the Cirque shows open this week, and everything. I yeah, think well, I'm going to come out to Vegas and hang out with you tonight. Well, I, think I was going to just...
1: make it a text from Bill pretty soon too, saying get back <laughs> home. We got a draft, and you know we're we're under the words two weeks here. Let's go.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, it just went on Twitter. Kevin Fallness, who's the wild radio quote unquote personality. He's my arch nemesis. No, I'm just kidding. But he, he's Mr. Obnoxious. He's got the raspy voice. He's like the radio guy. He's out in Vegas right now and he sent me a picture coincidentally during this podcast of him right in front of New York, New York. Oh, so no, right. be careful of him because he, uh, he, he
1: won't leave you alone. Trust me. All right. Well, so. we have, we got a team curfew, so I'll have to abide. So I, <laughs> I won't be out too late.
2: Yeah, well, have a great time there. Enjoy, uh, you know, uh, the, the, you know, it's really cool that you're getting to spend your first Vegas trip with your son out there and and playing hockey as well. And looking forward to talking to you as we get closer to the draft. Um, will will the draft will it, will it will you bring any other scouts in, or will it pretty much be like last year where you'll have just the front office
1: and you? It'll be like last year. And then I think we, we may have one or two coming in. We'll we'll see. It depends upon, you know, what the sort of re-entry back into Canada Europe Mm -hmm. looks like because we get going pretty quick, right? There's the, canada has the u18 selection uh, camp uh, yeah. just after and and then the ivan link is coming up so if if restrictions keep are, are as they are um you know it's important that our scouts get to games more so than you know getting in and and, and being a part of the draft they'll obviously yeah. be a part of them being present
2: yeah well hey uh, judd you're a gem for doing this i know uh, you know one again you're 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 having fun out in vegas but two uh not a lot of uh, directors of amateur scouting would be doing podcasts in advance of the, the draft and be as uh, forthcoming as you are so really do appreciate it Judd anytime I appreciate yep. you having me on yep thanks a lot and uh, check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the athletic app and rate and subscribe to straight from the source on Apple if you aren't already a subscriber now the time to get in go to the com slash straight from the source and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month thanks a lot Judd
1: thank you guys